welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Well, when I say the word schizophrenia to you, what is the first thing that you think of? Is it someone standing on the street corner, looking shabby, being homeless, uh, talking to themselves? Maybe, maybe it's uh, a movie that you saw, like Cuckoo's Nest or something else that showed um, patients in a mental hospital, well, I can guarantee that whatever it is, whatever image comes to your mind, it is not the image of our guest today. Um, And so today the show is called Conquering the Stigma of Mental Illness, One Person at a Time. Uh, Mindy Sai is a young woman who was born in Taiwan She came to New York City when she was 14 years old. She has a BA and and an MA, a bachelor's and a master's degree in electrical engineering from Cornell. And she currently works as a, well, her, her field of study is software technology, and she currently works as a business development manager for a company named Medulon, which is a digital health firm. Now, do all those, uh, does that resume sound like somebody who you pictured when I first mentioned the word schizophrenia? I don't think so. Her current book, her new book, her memoir, is called Becoming Whole. So we will be hearing today, and I will be most interested in this since over, my, over the years I have treated countless patients with schizophrenia. So, and they don't generally have uh, this kind of resume. So I will be fascinated, as I'm sure you will be too, to hear Mindy's story. Welcome to the show, Mindy. Thank you for having me, Dr. Liberman. So why don't you just uh, start at the beginning um, and uh, tell us, you know, how you first, um, what first started happening to you, that you started realizing something was wrong, and then just your various travels through the mental health system and as your life, basically just your, just your memoir. Your, tell us your memoir. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah. Um, so I um, had a pretty normal, ordinary childhood and growing up as well. Um, and uh, the first time that something actually happened that's a bit of normal was um, in 2002 when I was just about 28. Um, and, uh, you know, I didn't know something was wrong, actually, at the time. It took me a long time to realize that something was wrong. Um, But what's happening was I became very hypersensitive to noises, um, sounds around me. Um, I would look at someone, when they touch their nose, I would think, oh, are they trying to tell me something? Sort of like the movies, you know, when people signal things. And so for some reason, Mm -hmm. um, I started to become very sensitive to my environment, and, uh, of course, uh-huh. during that time, when, when I was 28, a lot happened. So 
I um, broke up with my long-term boyfriend. I was laid off by my first job. I had a lot of friends there. So, and I also moved into a house for the first time since I became an adult with roommates. So, lots was changing, and I didn't know that all that was actually stressing me out. Well, um, wait. Do you think? Wait, wait, wait. Do you think um, that it was these things that were stressing you out, or that? Um, it was the beginning of a mental illness that was making you maybe make wrong decisions um, in terms of breaking up with your boyfriend or, or some, doing things at the job that made them fire you. I mean, how can you tell, what do you think as far as which came first? Uh, I think it's the change in my, in my environment. Like everything around me changed and I didn't know how to handle it. So I, 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 I was, I became, you know, my personality typically is sort of pretty happy, optimistic, but at that time I became very timid. Um, and then I would get very anxious when someone I didn't know talked to me. Um, when someone asked me, what's your name for some reason at that time, I just couldn't answer that question. It's very silly, but that's, that was what happened. Um, and I, I don't know, for some reason, I just couldn't handle all the change around me. Um, and I also want to mention that my mother has schizophrenia, so I think it's in my genes as well. Um, I was so going to ask you about that when you were saying, well, yeah, if we could back up a bit. I was going to ask you about that because you were saying about having a normal childhood. And, yes, there is a genetic, um, um, schizophrenia does have a genetic component, not mm-hmm. that everybody... Every child born from a schizophrenic parent or grandparent uh, gets schizophrenia, but it is true that when mm-hmm. there are stressful situations in their life, that is when they can bring it out. So what, let's go back to your, let's not leave your childhood so quickly. Um, <laughs> so your childhood was in, in Taiwan. Yes. And um, what was it like having, um, you know, especially in that culture, what was it like having a mother with schizophrenia? Oh, so um, actually, my mother didn't get schizophrenia until later as well. So when we were, when I was born, and when she was still in in um, Taiwan, when we were still all in Taiwan, um, nobody between the two of you know, we were both um, you know, um, I don't know if you call it normal or we just haven't had it. Um, so we were fine, we were healthy then. She came to the U.S. to study, and I think her program, her um, Ph.D. program, triggered her schizophrenia, actually. So she was here by herself um, after I was born, and uh, she had her first episode of schizophrenia. And then my dad and I moved over when I was 14, and then later on in my, my, when I was 30, then I triggered my first schizophrenia episode. So we both had it pretty late. Um, so huh. when I was little, um, growing up, I, you know, other than that, you know, her temper, my, my mother has, has quite a hot temper. Um, and then her side of the family has actually, um, signs of mental conditions and stuff, you know, and in that, in, at that time, in that culture, we don't talk about it. I don't know anything about what happened to those uncle and aunts. Um, I think I've heard, you know, there was a suicide in the family as well, and I don't know anything. Again, that was not talked about. It was something that just sort of brushed aside. Um, 
So I, you know, as a child, I didn't learn anything about it. Um, not the family history, nor sort of the, the, the general knowledge about mental health. So, um, so your mother went to the U.S. when she was, when you were how old? Uh, she came when I was six. Um, and then she was here by herself for, um, studying in a Ph.D. program in New York. Um, and then I saw her uh, when I was 14. So between 6 and 14, she was actually uh, in the U.S. while I was in Taiwan. Huh. Yeah. Um, so, and, and I actually and- think... Uh, I actually think that's really good because my mom is a, a, a bit more um, strict. My dad is a lot um, uh, softer, and his side, his side of family is also sort of uh, a, a lot more relaxed. So I think growing up with mm-hmm. that environment, I didn't. Uh, I, I, you know, I wonder sometimes if I had sort of lived with my mother, would I trigger schizophrenia earlier? You know, sometimes I think about uh-huh. that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh huh. Uh huh. Well, now, what what was she studying? What was she getting a PhD in? She was getting economics and finance. Um, so she was uh, studying in Columbia at the time, actually. Uh huh. Now, was it unusual? Um, so, like, this is a wow. This is a long time. Let's see. So you were twenty eight in two thousand two. <laughs> so yeah. was like this is like around nineteen seventy. Yeah, seventies. Yeah. 1970s, yeah, she came. Um, th- she was a married woman um, in, a, in a fairly traditional society. She sort of left the family and uh, came by herself to study. So it was actually fairly um, unusual and sort of brave of her to sort of come here by herself and, and you know, leaving her husband and her young, you know, her baby, right? So that was very unusual for her, yeah. Yes. Um, and do you have any brothers or sisters? I don't. I'm I'm a single child. I think they uh, they they only uh, no. I'm the only child. <laughs> okay. Um, so so I'm the reason I'm just kind of interested because that isn't typical of. Um, now let's see. So you said she. She developed it when she was 30. No, or when she was how old? Oh, no, she, she developed it when, right around when I was 14. So I would say um, oh, 78, okay. maybe 1970, 70, 70, 77, 78, around that time. And that's the reason and why my dad old? and I came. Um, I was, yes. uh, I was 14. No, how old was she when... Uh, she, she, first- um, she was probably be, probably around 30 as well. Yeah, about the okay. same time as me, yeah. Huh. So it's interesting. Okay, so it's kind of interesting how you parallel, but, um, but okay, I, I don't mean, <laughs> I don't mean to interrupt you, all the, but just all these, um, parts of the story are interesting. So, yeah. um, where, by the way, where was she treated in New York? Uh, she was treated in um, St. Luke. I think it's the the first hospital she's been to, uh-huh. and uh, it's near. It's right near um, the school, so that was where she treated. Yeah. And her story is kind of interesting. She actually walked into the hospital herself. 
So compared to me, mm-hmm. she she has a completely different story. And, you know, I think I got a lot of help with friends and family. And I think she was a lot more independent when it comes to sort of her treatment. Huh. Yeah. Um, so, well, okay, we can go back to her. Then what? <laughs> I actually, uh, the reason I... Um, the reason why I asked, first of all, I'm from New York. Second of all, I did my psychiatry training at Bellevue. Oh, okay. So I, I see. I just wondered if maybe. So you know the <laughs> area she had very gone well. There. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so let's go back to you. We can leave. Put your mother on the side for right now. <laughs> okay. So, so there you were at 28 years old. Uh, where were you living? Uh, at the time, I just moved, when I was 28, I just moved into a house in Eastside, Cambridge, uh, in Massachusetts. Uh, it's very close to Boston downtown, um, and it's close to work. So the reason I moved there is my house just got broken in, so I was terrified, and I, fit, I said, okay, you know what, maybe it's safer to live with roommates, so then I moved in uh, into the house, and but, you know, not knowing that it's the first time I'm actually living with roommates, and I'm not used to having um, people I don't know well in the house, and so that sort of mm-hmm. was a, 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 I'm not sure that was a good choice on my part, um, but anyway, so I was mm-hmm. living in East Cambridge. Okay. So, okay, so let's go back to some, what some of the things were that you started experiencing um, at this first time. So, well, when you, and um, when you started experiencing them, did it make you um, think about, oh my, I must have what my mother has? No, I, it's, uh, I don't know why it didn't occur to me, but I didn't, I didn't connect it to at all. So I started, so basically what happened is everything around me changed and a lot of, because I broke up with my boyfriend, a lot of our couple friends, I don't hang, I didn't hang out with a lot of our couple friends anymore. So basically I go uh-huh. to work in the, you know, I go, go to work during the day and uh, it's new people and work environment is, is easy for me because, you know, you focus on the work, you, you meet your deadlines. And so that was fine. But then when it comes to after work, when there's like a social gathering, I would be in a room with, you know, potentially 10 to 20 people I don't know. And it is the first time that I, I'm in front of a bunch of strangers in, you know, five to six years. Um, and that sort of, that situation for some reason intimidated me. And so when people, you know, when someone approached me and say, hi, they're trying to be friendly, you know, I, I had trouble with that interaction for, for some reason at that time. Um, and then uh, when I go home, um, I would, uh, you know, be in my room and I would hear noises from outside of the window and that would stress me out as well because I used to live with my ex-boyfriend and so there would be two of us at home and I felt safe, but without him, now I'm alone um, you know, the car goes by and I'm like, you know, sort of startled by the conking outside or the bird or, you know, whatever the noise is. So for some reason, uh-huh. I've become really, really hypersensitive to my environment, all of it. And so every time something, every time there's a new sound or a new person or a new things, I, I would get tensed up inside. Um, and uh, it, I just didn't know how to deal with it and it, it just and then it just builds up builds up and then I would see a situation 
that I don't understand. For example, I'm walking on the street. I remember this. I walk on the street. Someone is honking, and I think they're trying to say something to me and that maybe I did something wrong, um, and I will walk off. And then for the next week or so, I would keep remembering that honking and keep questioning and say, oh, my God, what was that all about and stuff like that. So just uh-huh. reading into things a lot for some reason uh-huh. um, and just trying to think that everything means something. Um, you know, if someone touches their nose, are they trying to hint at me and saying something? You know, I think those are the things you only see in the movies. But, you know, at that time, I was not even thinking, you know, that's not normal. Um, I was just reacting to everything around me. So I didn't connect uh-huh. this, all this behavior with schizophrenia at all. It was much, much later that I made the connection. So now also you started hearing voices. Um, yeah, yeah. So voice, after, after about Joe, I'm sorry, a voice that you called Joe. Yeah. So after um, being stressed like this every day for about, I want to say three to six months. I don't know. The timeline is a little fuzzy here. But about you know, after a while, um, all of a sudden one day I heard a voice when I was getting up in my room. Um, and, uh, he talked to me and he sounded to me like a young man, my age. Um, he was pleasant and, you know, he, he asked me if I can hear him. I say, yes. He said, don't, don't, you know, talk out loud. You're going to look silly. So like we sort of had, you know, I don't know if you can call this a conversation, but we sort of have like a, a dialogue. And for then I was, looking for where he was and where he was coming from and how he was able to talk to me this way. I didn't even think that Mm -hmm. the voice was from my brain. I didn't, you know, I I heard it. Um, I believe what I heard. Um, So that was, you know, how I started with Joe, the voice. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. Um, (laughs) Well, it's time to take a break. This This would be a good time to break. We will... Come back with my guest, Mindy Tsai. Am I pronouncing Is it Tsai? Yes. Perfect. How do you pronounce Okay. Okay. And her new book called Becoming Hold. So stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host. the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787, Hello? and ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com 
These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. Don't write yourself And welcome back to Dr. Carol Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. My guest uh, is Mindy Tsai, and her book, her new book, new memoir, is called Becoming Whole. Uh, Today's show is being called Conquering the Stigma of Mental Illness, One Story at a Time. And she is telling us, she has just begun telling us her story of when she... Um, started realizing that things weren't quite right. Now, this is after she was already graduated from Cornell uh, with a BS and an MA, a bachelor's and a master's in electrical engineering, not uh, basket weaving. (laughs) (laughs) No, she had already accomplished quite a bit, is my point. Um, Okay, so there we are. Uh, You're at 28, and you're starting to hear, um, see all these being becoming too sensitive to your environment, uh, including hearing a voice of someone named Joe. Mm-hmm. So take, take the story up from there. Okay. So I hear from him, and uh, it, w- it was a work day. I remember going to work. And, uh, you know, when I get to work, um, I start looking for speakers and seeing, you know, where the voice could come from because I always thought that it's a, it's a technical thing that this – could, you know, that could enable the voice talking this way. Um, but when I get to uh, work, um, he was gone. He was completely gone. The voice was, um, went away, and I, I didn't think much of it. I was like, that was, you know, that was silly, and I went, I went back to work. Um, I didn't, you know, even remember this um, and didn't make note of it. And so then, you know, my life continued to be a little bit more stressed, um, and then uh, when I, you know, when I start reading books at night, I would hear clicking sounds, um, which I didn't know where it was coming from. So basically, they were start gradual increases of different sounds and voices that I, I believe that I hallucinated. But at that time, I did not know that I, it was from my brain. So... Um, just a little bit more clicking sounds here, and then sometimes it's talking, sometimes it's um, just, you know, um, maybe like birds noise. Um, and uh, over time, I think over a period of a few months, it actually ramped up to the voice talking to me 24-7. Um, so initially mm. it was just like once in a while, then it became more and more and more, um, and when it started becoming 24-7, I had trouble sleeping. So I couldn't go to sleep. Uh-huh. Um, over, I remember that last weekend before I really had the, the serious breakdown was uh, I, I couldn't sleep. I tried to fall asleep. I can't, and I tried to ignore it. I can't. 
Um, and then I basically uh, was so, uh, so sort of wound up by my thoughts, um, all the talking and talking back and thinking back and, you know, um, that I, I, in the middle of the night, I, I felt like I, I couldn't move and I felt like I was in trouble. Um, so then I called my ex-boyfriend and say, hey, I think I need help. Um, uh-huh. So that's sort of the, the end of that whole first um, episode that triggered schizophrenia for me. So that was the, at the end. And so... Wait, wait, let me just ask you, were you hearing, uh, were you feeling like the television was talking to you? Um, was it was still that guy, so I still think it's that guy, so it's, it's a young man in my head, and, and I think the reason, I'm, I'm guessing, <laughs> I'm guessing is at that time I actually had a crush on, uh, uh, on a guy at work, so I think maybe that's reflecting out of my subconsciousness or something like that. Um, but anyway, so yeah. throughout this first time, it was a uh, young men talking. Okay. Did you, let me just ask you, did you feel like people could read your mind? Um, I, uh, no, not quite here yet. Um, later on I did, and the later um, uh, episodes I did, but at this time, I didn't. At this time, I mainly was just listening. So the only time the voice comes up is when I'm alone. So when I'm in my room uh-huh. or, um, you know, and it doesn't happen outside. It doesn't happen at work. So that weekend when I was home for, uh, for the whole weekend, um, that was when the talking was, was constant. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah. So, so you called your boyfriend. Now, when, when, what made you... Um, break up with your boy. You broke up with your boyfriend, not him breaking up with you. Uh, I, I, I would say we grew apart. Um, I, I, I think that we became friends at the end, and so, you know, I, I just didn't think. Um, I, I didn't think we had a future. Um, so I moved out. Yeah. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah. But he's a good um, guy, nice guy. So no, 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 uh, <laughs> no negative points on him. <laughs> okay, so then what happened? You call, so you called him in the so middle I of the night. So I called him, weekend, and, and when, when everything was he, coming down on you, you called him, yeah. Yeah, and when I called him, I literally, he, he showed up, and uh, he knew something was different about me, and I think he knew something was wrong. Um, because I think later on I found out that my close friend notices that I, I sort of change a little bit and I'm a little bit different than how I'm usually is, was. Um, uh-huh. And so he came over right away. He, he drove over. He came ro- over right away and picked me up. And when he picked me up, I couldn't speak. He was like, are you okay? And I, I, in my head, I hear his voice, and I, I, couldn't, I, I couldn't make my mouth say the words and I couldn't process his question. I was literally completely sort of not functional, um, and I didn't realize mm-hmm. that that was the state I was in. And so uh, mm-hmm. I went to his place and crashed, like slept, um, and, and I don't remember much of what happened next. Um, the only thing I remember is they, the, my friend, you know, Chris and Jennifer, my friend and my ex-boyfriend, they got me to the hospital, Sorry, to a doctor, and the doctor referred me to a psychiatrist. And I remember going into the car, 
And then I remember going into that office, and then I don't remember the first conversation I ever had about me being sick. So they did most of the talking. Uh-huh. Um, and then I start taking medication that I didn't know why I was taking, but uh, the medication mm-hmm. helped. So the medication actually was immediately effective, and uh, the voice was gone. What medication was it? Uh, I started taking Zyprexa. Uh-huh. Okay. Go ahead. Yep. And, uh, yeah, so, so, but the thing is, the, the, the doctor I was seeing, the psychiatrist I was seeing, um, uh, in the book I call him Dr. Hans. Obviously, that's not his uh, real name. I, I don't want to, I don't need to share his real name. But, anyways, Dr. Sure. Han has a very hands-off approach to treating me. Uh, so I saw him once in a while, yeah. and when, when I see him, he asked me, you know, how is your mother? I say, she's fine. And then that was the end of the conversation. Oh, wow. Um, hmm. Yeah, so he was very hands-off, and uh, he um, didn't really monitor, and this is what I learned later on too, he didn't really monitor my um, therapeutic level or my dosage. And so sometimes I uh-huh. did experience symptoms again um, because I think I was on a very, very low dosage. Um, so that was where I, um, between sort of the first major episode and the second major episode, there were small spikes of uh, me hearing sort of voices here and there and then getting really confused about why I was still you know, hearing that and it would bring me back to the world of Joe and I would try to remember what happened. Um, so again, you know, you, you asked me earlier, did I put that together with schizophrenia and what my mom has? And I didn't. I, I still was trying uh-huh. to figure out um, where, Did you how, tell anybody? Did, did you tell anybody? Uh, at the beginning, the I mentioned here and there, but it's more like, you know, I, I sort of mentioned it indirectly. I didn't say anything. So I would say to Chris, um, you know what, I think, you know, I, I'm hearing voices. And, you know, he doesn't, he's not equipped to have this kind of conversation. So he would say, oh, and then, you know, he would make note of it. And then I think I would bring, you know, I would have dinner with another girlfriend and, you know, I would say, you know what, I think I heard something and I think it's really weird. And they would just say, oh, okay, right? Um, uh-huh. You know what I mean? It's really hard to know what to do. I, I think none of us knew what to do in this kind of situation. Right. So, yeah, so basically, I, you know, I, and then at the end of the, the treatment with Dr. Han, um, I saw him once a year, and it was literally a five-minute visit. Oh my God! But what happened? Okay, but what happened before that? I mean, what happened? Were you ever hospitalized? No, I uh, so I was later, but not the first time. So the first time, literally, I went to see the doctor. He gave me the pill, and I was back to work like the next day. So no education, no understanding, no awareness, no. I didn't. I just you know I just started taking this pill like I had a headache. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and uh-huh. so, you know, so I think that explains the following year between sort of um, the, the, the next, uh, I would say, eight years 
where I would li- live a fairly normal life, you know, working, traveling, friends, dinners, dates, etc. But uh, when when the voice comes back um, to me, I would get confused for a weekend. Um, and then I would forget about it and then live, you know, go on to live my life and then something would happen and then I would just get confused again and then, you know, I would forget about it. Somehow, my brain was able to separate the normal uh, life that I was able to keep living and then the the the, the uh, imaginary world, right? So that happens, but I kept, my brain kept the two pretty separate. So when I'm at work, I don't think about voices or anything like that. I don't think about, you know, the pill or, you know, all that. So, and that's how I managed the next eight years, I think. Just separate, you know, just separate the two, um, kind of very black and white. I, I always think of it as like a light switch. Either the room is dark or the room is light and, you know, the two doesn't yeah. mix. Yeah. Yes. Um, and, and during these eight years, you were seeing a doctor only how often? Uh, so uh, Dr. Hans, I only saw him later on once a year. So literally I'd go and he writes me a prescription and uh, I don't think about it. Yeah. So the only thing that's remi- that reminded me of what happened um, when I was 30 um, was the pill. And so sometimes I would look at the pill and get, you know, sort of, kind of wondering, you know, why, why am I taking this? I don't understand. You know, I heard yeah. somebody, and just because I heard somebody talking, why, what does that have to do with this pill, you know? So I didn't, I didn't put it together. Okay, but wait. But by then, I mean, even putting your mother aside, even if you didn't connect it with her, um, yeah. but by then you had a master's, you know, you were a very well-educated <laughs> woman, didn't you, yeah. weren't you curious enough to want to see a psychiatrist who would actually do therapy with you or to no, read some so books the thing I didn't think it was hearing voices? <laughs> no, no, I didn't think it was me. I, I didn't, I didn't think there was something wrong with me. And I didn't think, I believed that the voice was from a speaker or some sort of technology that is created by, by people who are smarter than me. So um, I did not, and then when I, and then I moved, so sometimes I hear talking from the ceiling. I would, I would think that that's from upstairs. I always had a uh-huh. sort of a logical uh, explanation to explain the, the abnormal. Um, so I, I didn't, I, it, it, the realization came much, much later that I connected the voice to my brain. It, it, that wasn't there before. It was just... And how did that happen? How did that yeah, come about? So, yeah, so, uh, so the, when I turned 36, I wanted to get pregnant, um, and I wanted, I wanted to be a single mother. Um, so I went to Dr. Han, and I say. I want to do this, but I, I read somewhere that, you know, medication is not good, um, so what should I do? And he said it was okay for me to get off my medication. So I got off my medication, and this was, I think, in August, in the summer, um, and then I was okay, and I tried to get pregnant. It didn't work the first time. I, I was very upset by it, so I stopped, and um, 
the, you know, and that's when I said, you know what, I want to find out what happened before. And so schizophrenia sort of took over. And, you know, for, for the first time, I have this interest of trying to investigate and, like, try to figure out what happened. So I started looking into it, and, uh, and then, you know, if you go look for schizophrenia, it comes to you, um, and I start hearing voices. So this time was the, the second major episode that I had, and this time I actually ended up in the hospital. And so when I ended up in the hospital, there was a lot of care. Um, it's completely different from the first time. So this time I had a, a team of doctors. I was at an inpatient um, and then they talked to me in the morning. At the end of the day, there was people watching you, observing you every day. Um, and then it was in one of those sessions where the doctor made me realize that I actually, my brain actually produced the voice. It was not, you know, some tech, technology that made it happen. It was, it was my brain. Uh-huh. And that was the first time I gained um, awareness. So, you oh. know, a while and, after. And what happened? What happened that did bring you into this hospital this this time? I mean, you know, they finally brought you into a hospital. Yeah, so the I always think that the first time it happened was much, much more serious than the second time. But the second major um, episode that I had, a lot more people knew about it. So a lot of my friends knew about it. Um, and so I think they were also trying very hard to help me. And people have different ways of helping me. Um, so some people try to talk to me about it. Some people try to take me to doctor about it. And some people just did things for me. So I have a friend who um, got really scared. And uh, in the book, her name is Maggie. And um, she got really scared. So she called the, uh, uh, the ER, uh, the emergency, the ambulance, and came. And so there were people they came to my house and knock on my door. So I think she tried this like three times. And the third time I finally, and, and at the time, you must know, I didn't know why these people were knocking on my door. I didn't call them. She didn't tell me. She called them. It was just people coming and knocking on my door. And so I was uh, further confused. But because yeah. I was so caught up in the voices and trying to shut it off and couldn't do it and couldn't, I, I felt so stuck uh, in trying to figure out what happened and dealing with the voice myself that, you know, I finally gave up, I think, was what happened. And the third time they came knocking on my door, I said, you know what, I'll, I'll, you, you think you can help me? Fine. I'll let you help me. You want me to go with you? I'll go with you. So I, I went with them in an ambulance to the MGH Okay, wait, ER. wait, wait. Wait, wait. Why, um... Why did they not take you the other two times? I mean, did they talk to you and decide that you yeah, were... Yeah, they did. Uh, so the first time they knock on my door, um, I, I was confused because it was the first time, right? And so they were like, we're looking for someone who is distressed. And I say, uh, I, I don't know what you're talking about. And because I was able to... Because I, I, I was still functioning. You know, I, I was still functional. Like, if you, if you meet me... And talk to me. I, I, I was, you know, I still look, the, you know, if you don't know me and it's the first time you meet me, you, you probably don't think there's anything wrong. Um, so I was able to talk to them and say, you know, everything is fine. Don't worry about it. And then they, they <laughs> since, you know, and since they don't see anything um, and, right. I'm, you know, I'm not, 
I'm not hurting myself or, you know, I'm not hurt. I wasn't hurt. You know, they end up going away. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, we need to stop here for another break. Um, But this story keeps getting more interesting. So do stay tuned, everybody. My guest is Mindy Tsai. Her book is called Becoming Whole. Uh, We're talking about conquering the stigma of mental illness one story at a time. And this is her story. So stay tuned. the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787, and ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Tune into the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. Boy, the show is going so quickly today. We're talking about conquering the stigma of mental illness one story at a time. And today we're hearing about the story of Mindy Sai. Her book, her memoir is called Becoming Whole. Um, really, really fascinating. So we left, oh, before we get back to you in the hospital, um, I want to say something for sure about this doctor who you, you know, who's, who you're calling for the purposes of the memoir, Han. Um, but whatever his name is, he, he, you could, you could have, and maybe you did, but you could have sued him for malpractice. I mean, what he did was unconscionable. First of all, uh, and, and part of this, there are way too many psychiatrists, um, in the States and presumably in the world, but especially in the States, uh, who do this. And I, this is one of my pet peeves in life that, um, whatever your, illness is, whatever the, the disorder is, the psychiatric disorder, whether it's schizophrenia or manic depressive illness or um, any, anything, anxiety, depre- whatever it is, 
Um, it, no pill, and it's amazing, uh, Mindy, that you, the pill that you were taking, and that's a fine, it's an antipsychotic, um, mm-hmm. and Zyprexa. And, um, you know, it's amazing that it did keep you together for a whole year with that, you know, with you only taking, with you taking that every day, but only seeing the psychiatrist so rarely. But the point is that whatever mental disorder one has, um, no pill is going to cure it on its own or even manage it on its own, except maybe temporarily, as you found out, um, and what you need, what people need for any kind of mental illness, um, again, whether it's just anxiety, depression, anything, instead of taking all these pills, like for anxiety, all the pills that one could take for that are addicting. Um, and, and you need therapy to go along with mm-hmm. any pill that you get from a doctor Absolutely. in regard to any kind of psychiatric problem. So what your psychiatrist did was unconscionable, to just, you know, send you off and, and so many psychiatrists do that, see patients once a month, once every two months, once every three months. I, that is not how I was trained at Bellevue. <laughs> that mm-hmm. it doesn't work. And, um, and, um, and I refuse to do it that way. I only see patients who want to come for weekly psychotherapy. And if they need medication for whatever it is that they have, of course, I prescribe medication as well but I refuse to see people just for these med visits, you know, once a week, once a month, and I've never even heard of once a year. <laughs> but anyhow, <laughs> um, so, but what was even more unconscionable was his telling you, when you told him you wanted to get pregnant, and he's saying, just go off the medication, not telling you what it is that he thought you had, why he was giving you this medication in the first place, um, so that you could make a choice about, you know, whether you wanted to go into, whether you were having some hormones or, or um, in, um, mm-hmm. in vitro, whatever it is that you were doing, you know, so that you could make an informed decision mm-hmm. and, um, and, and not even, you know, I, I mean, at that time, that certainly would have been the time to say, by the way, <laughs> you know, this past year I've been giving you this little pill. Well, what it's for is, I mean, I mean it's just, I mean, all the way around, it's just, it's, it, it's really sad to hear that, uh, and this was in Boston, we're not talking about some rinky-dink place um, where maybe some people aren't as educated, but, you know, there's no excuse. There's absolutely no excuse. And, and you know, I wish people, not that I'm necessarily encouraging people to file lawsuits willy-nilly, but this is, this is a case where um, it would have behooved you. I mean, I don't know if you wanted to do it, but I mean, it's, it, he deserved, let's put it that way, he deserved to have a malpractice case filed against him. Mm. Um, mm. Yeah, I, I didn't. So, I didn't know. I didn't know at the time. So yeah. Now looking back, yeah, it's yeah. so. So I just want to say. So the doctors in Boston. So Sue McLean and the current doctor I have. You know, the experience is completely one eighty, and I am. You know, I'm getting educated. I am. Being, you know, I have regular therapies and, and they know sort of what's happening with my life. So it, it is, you know, there are definitely very, very good doctors in Boston. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yes, I know there are. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, what's that saying? Um, the, you know, a few bad apples. That's it. Yes, yes, um, yes. So, so um, what did they? What have you been doing that kind of turned it around? So you were in the hospital. I mean, of course, that's that's what that's what the first psychiatrist should have done. 
Mm-hmm. So if, you, if you recognize that you needed an antipsychotic and this was your first break, he should have put you in the hospital right from the get-go. I see. I see. Yeah, so um, so I was in the hospital for two weeks, and uh, I was, um, initially, I was, you know, I was um, determined. I say, you know, I was, in, I'm, I'm in the middle of figuring out my life. Uh, I, I think I almost figured it out, but, uh, you know, I'm here. Um, I don't want to take the medication because I'm working on trying to figure out this, this person I'm hearing, um, and, uh, and then they, 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 they uh, amazingly and McLean, they were like, okay, if you don't want to take it, you don't have to take it. And I was like, really? Because that's not mm-hmm. how other people, you know, my friends and Dr. Han, they've, they've all been sort of, you know, don't worry about it. Just take it. You know, they sort of doesn't, yeah, they doesn't want me to understand, but, and McLean yeah. was the first time I feel like people wanted me to understand what is happening. And so I start yeah. asking, you know, I start they, 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 they would ask me, you know, why do you think you're here? And, and I would have to explain myself. And then uh-huh. I would say, you know, oh, I was doing, I was trying to get pregnant and I, this happened and I was, you know, ER and all that stuff. And then one day, um, at, you know, I think the second or the third day, I was still saying I don't want to take it. And the doctor, the chief of, uh, uh, the chief medical doctor, um, he came over. And he's, I, I think he sort of, figured out that I'm like a thinking type. <laughs> so he say, um, you know, I want you to, I, I so clearly remember he said this to me, I want you to consider the benefit of it. And I thought, uh-huh. consider the benefit of it. The drug, like I have never thought of the medication, the benefit, you know what I mean? I always thought of it as like yeah. a choice of what I should take or not and it has nothing to do with anything else. And so I don't, that just... I thought about that, considered the benefit the whole day I was sitting there. The other thing is I was also in the hospital. There was nothing you can do. There was no TV, no phone, no work, no friends. There's no distractions. So I had time uh-huh. to really think about what, you know, the situation that I was in. And uh, all of a sudden it just clicked. Oh, my God. The pill, you know, affects my brain. And the brain is what is creating the, the talking, the voice. Uh-huh. Um, and I was like, oh, my God. And so that's when I realized that I had schizophrenia. Uh-huh. Just that by him saying that and me thinking about it, you know. Um, uh-huh. Yeah, and so that was, that was a big moment. Um, but I, I assume you, you, you... Go ahead. No, go ahead. Well, I just wanted to... You did have, like... Um, you had group therapy and individual therapy, right, in the hospital? Yes, I did. So they, um, when I first got there, they give you like a schedule. Um, and they don't call it group therapy, but I know that that's what they call it um, uh, mm-hmm. as well. Uh, classes, they say, you know, we have these classes. You should go to these classes and, you know, you know sort of interact with other people and stuff. So I was actually in an open space um, with maybe 10 to 20 other patients and it was also the first time I saw other patients, right? Because with Dr. Han, it was uh-huh. me going into his office. Um, uh-huh. So it was also the first time I interacted with folks um, of different sort of, you know, who were there for different reasons. Um, and so it was, it, I, I actually, I, you know, I met some great, you know, some younger kids and older folks and, 
you know, we sort of chatted and, you know, it was, uh, it was actually a pretty, uh, you know, like comfortable, they try to make it comfortable for everybody there, I think. And so there's group mm-hmm. sessions, there's uh, movie time, there's sports time. You can also go to the gym if you're given the, mm-hmm. the permission. And you can take walks outside for a little bit, of course, with a guide. Um, so, yeah, so there was like a hope. They try to keep you busy and uh, social during the day. Uh-huh, yes. Well, McLean is a very good hospital. Um, yeah. You know, one of the, one of the things that, um, that um, pe- you know, people don't realize, some people don't realize, some psychiatrists don't realize that, uh, that you can actually treat people with therapy who have schizophrenia. Because mm. um, they think that, you know, oh, no, they, they won't understand or, you know, this, uh, this will just jumble them or it will make them more stressed. But, you know, um, I, have, I have and I do treat people with, as I said, with all kinds of problems, including schizophrenia, with psychotherapy. Um, and so, for example, you know, your voice of Joe and, and you did kind of acknowledge that that was related to the guy you had to crush on at, at work. And then also, you had just broken up with your boyfriend, so it must have felt, you kind of said this, that you must have felt lonely. So, mm-hmm. hallucinations, uh, like that was an auditory hallucination, hallucinations have psychological meaning, you know, mm-hmm. so you can't just dismiss, dismiss it. Oh, well, this person's schizophrenic, so they hear a voice, so, what, you know, that's crazy. Um, what's the point of, of, uh, of analyzing that? But there is a point because, you know, um, understanding that you, that you created a young man in your environment, you know, because you were missing that. Yeah, I totally agree. I, that's how I feel. That's how I feel um, when I look back. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And so now tell us, because we're kind of out of time, but tell us quickly what your life is like today. Oh, uh, so life is good. Um, I am, you know, still taking Zyprexa, and uh, the doctor has monitored to a level where I think it covers sort of the spikes of uh, the different levels of stress level in my life uh-huh. currently. So I'm still working mm-hmm. full time. I have lots of great friends in Boston, um, and uh, I'm really happy that I was able to sort of finally articulate how, what I experienced in the book um, because it took me a while. And so, you know, I think now it's just. Um, uh, yeah, so just focusing on living life and uh, do the best I can. Sort of, that's that's my goal right now. Well, I really admire you, and I think what you did. I think that this book is very important um, as we try to blast through the stigma of mental illness. Because uh, you know you, what, what you're proving with your story is um, that it's not like the stereotype necessarily, that people can have more successful lives and still be uh, diagnosed with a major mental illness. Well, Mindy, thank you so much. Again, my guest is Mindy Sai. Her book is called Becoming Whole. So thank you so much, and I wish you all the best, Mindy. Thank you so much, and Dr. Liberman. And thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat. 